Bloody Elbow presents the MMA Vivisection, the show that gives you a comprehensive breakdown and expert analysis of all the fights happening on this weekend's UFC card. Here are your hosts, Zane Simon and Connor Rebush. Hey everybody, welcome back to the MMA Vivisection with me, Zane Simon, and my co-host, as always, Connor Rebush. We are here once again talking about this week's UFC card. UFC 271 going down in Houston, Texas, the Toyota Center, headlined by a middleweight title fight rematch, Israel Adesanya, Robert Whitaker 2, and a fight that honestly feels like it, this could, should have happened like a year and a half ago. I'm just glad that all the pieces have fallen into place for it to be exactly as relevant now. Uh, yeah, actually, I suppose this this is one where um, it feels it actually feels like not striking while the iron was hot paid off. Yeah, I think I think looking at the Whitaker we got against Till, mm-hmm. it would have been a mistake. It, yeah, to do it right away. Now there's a significant, a serious chance that Whitaker will have regained some confidence and will be ready to come in with some different ideas and. It's just uh, good that both he and Adesanya have kept winning. Mm-hmm. It is. I suppose it, it, it's the kind of delay you can afford when you just have a great fight between the two clearly best guys in the division, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's the kind of thing that we, you know, it, it's a good argument from the UFC to not do an instant rematch when yeah. they have a title fight that's close. I mean, that wasn't one wasn't close, but even yeah. still, it's just the idea, like, okay, you know. Maybe if you don't do, you know, Volkanovski versus Holloway three tomorrow and wait two years, they'll still be in position to do it. And it'll be more interesting then. Mm -hmm. And this is the, the, the good side of that. Here's some numbers I doubt we'll actually be able to find easily. But I would Mm -hmm. love if somebody would, would tell me what percentage of rematches are in title fights these days. It's got to be most of them, right? Yeah. I would I love to does. get more rematch series where it's easier to do, where it doesn't really matter if it's off of a win or off of a loss for either guy, you know? Yeah, I hear do you. More, do more undercard rematches. Some of the greatest series in boxing are just like, they're not title fights necessarily. Mm-hmm. Just have two guys fight again and again. If it's a really good matchup, why not? You know, I... I uh... <gasps> I realized something just now when we were talking about that, that a big part of why we might see that Mm -hmm. is that with the obvious increased difficulty that has come about of getting fighters, getting elite fighters to take big fights, Mm -hmm. because they're all realizing that they shouldn't be fighting for $150,000. Rematches in title fights is one of like the really easy guaranteed ways to get everybody sure. at the negotiating table. For sure. So that's a very good point. Yeah. And otherwise, lower down in the in the UFC too. I mean, part of the reason you don't see it is like if you're you know if you're Bobby Green here and you beat Nazrat Hakparos, like why would you want to turn around and fight Nazrat Hakparos yeah, again? Of course. Like you're, there's a, there's such a clear ladder to climb, whereas in boxing, yeah, that ladder is totally scatter shot dependent. Mm-hmm. You know, you might 
look and it's the fact them. that there's more organizations yeah. and that there's just a much more a much looser structure in terms of getting to a title shot. No one can even agree on what the top ten are. You'll find eight different yeah. top tens for each division. Exactly. So fighting somebody two times or three times might you know, it might be the best, absolute best option you were gonna have on the table. Yeah. It's one of those things where like if you had a really great fight, people might you might just get more money to do it again. So why yeah. not? Whereas in the UFC, you're guaranteed to not get more money to do exactly. it again. Exactly. Exactly. And it's just going to cost you that little bit of that little bit of gain that you just had to get up the ladder just a little mm-hmm. bit. You're turning around and being like, "Ah, hey, I could give it up for the exact same money I just got." Mm-hmm. So, but in title in in the title situation, it I, we're seeing it more than ever because it does just it is an easy way to get people agreeing to get a challenger who's going to sign up for whatever deal is on offer, you know? Yeah. And this is great. I, I fully yeah. agree. I'm, I'm, I, I feel like maybe it's a chance the UFC doesn't always want to take, but it, it's definitely turned out to be the right decision here. Yeah. And all, all things considered, at least as of the airing of this show, we are unravaged by injury and illness mm-hmm. and this card looks good. I know that, uh, the last two weeks I, I've, uh, had a fight that I chose to talk about on Heavy Hands canceled the day of the recording session. Mm-hmm. At one point, I think it was while we were recording. And so a, a timelier Wikipedia refresh would have <laughs> saved me. And the other one, it was just when we finished. So um, assuming yeah. that it is Heavy Hands that is actually causing these injuries and withdrawals, I think uh, this card is lucky to have evaded our curse this week so yeah. far. Yeah. We're good. We- we we're so far we're we're clearly tempting fate here and jinxing things. Oh yeah. But this was a card that we were talking about coming up like if if a couple fights go wrong, it's in trouble. But as of yet, nothing's gone wrong. We have mm-hmm. Adesanya Whitaker, awesome fight. Or Adesanya Whitaker 2, awesome fight. Great mm-hmm. fight. Can't wait for it. Luis Tuivasa is going to be very fun. I am happy the UFC put that fight together. It is a, it, it feels like the exact right kind of stupid heavyweight fight at the top of a card. Sure. And then Cannoneer Brunson, which is also great. And, I love that fight. Yeah. Yeah. And then I'm not going to, you're not going to catch me arguing against Bobby Green, Nazareth Hakparast. So, no, no, that's awesome. Yeah. We, we finally get Perez Schnell. Yep. I mean, as of now. <laughs> yeah. And the prelims, it's they're not the greatest prelims, but it's a it's a very solid main card, and yep. uh, it really feels so interesting and relevant. They've beaten us down like an abused housewife. <laughs> I'm crawling back to another UFC card. Like, okay, well, actually, he's being pretty nice today. Okay, <laughs> you know what? <laughs> he ate his dinner and went to bed. I think you, I think you might be seriously <laughs> diseased at this point. I think, I think this <laughs> this sport has truly broken you. Yeah, exactly. That's my yeah. point. It's like Strickland versus Hermanson. I'm like, yes, dear, quietly. <laughs> okay. And then you... this. <laughs> okay. All right. Let's. Yeah. Let's not beat this metaphor too. Okay. <laughs> all right. All right. Uh, let's start out with a middleweight bout. Israel Adesanya, Robert Whitaker, our title fight. Mm-hmm. And man, you know, I have this gut feeling that this one is going to be a brutally close war. Yeah. yeah. 
it doesn't seem like it can't not have some pretty violent moments, right? Yeah. And I, I get the feeling that, you know, I people are talking about, well, maybe Whitaker will be more measured and fight behind, you know, his rangy tools, be a little more cautious, things like that. But I don't think Adesanya has any extra respect for Whitaker out no. there. No. And so I think if, if Whitaker sits back, Adesanya will just pick at him. Mm-hmm. And I think that at some point pretty quick, Robert Whitaker is not going to sit back. And I just don't think he's going to get... If he doesn't get knocked out, I think it's going to make this fight a really rough yeah. fight. And I don't think he's going to get knocked out. I don't, I don't like to see... you know I don't want to just predict that as an outcome automatically. Because Robert Whitaker has tended to be over his career an incredibly tough dude. Mm-hmm. And Adesanya, for all of his talents, is not the world's most insane knockout artist at the highest levels of MMA. No, yeah. I mean, the weird thing is is that since these guys are, are again, so clearly the best two in the division, yeah, um, that their first fight was like the most all-out violent of Adesanya's title reign. Mm-hmm was a brutal fight um so i yeah i just don't see how this one doesn't uh whether it starts out that way or not lead to some similar moments like i I don't know i think there are styles that can kind of shut adesanya out of a fight but adesanya's style is ultimately going to give whitaker no choice but to engage that's just the guy bobby knuckles is you know yeah um, so yeah, that, that brings us to like the question of this rematch. The question of every big rematch is what does the loser do differently? Mm-hmm. And, um, I think there are like broadly two ways Whitaker could go here. One is, um, sort of along the lines of what you, you said is, is, uh, to sort of fight against type a bit. Mm-hmm. Which is not to say that Robert Whitaker doesn't have plenty of performances where he is like relatively patient and controlled. Oh yeah, I mean sticking behind his jab and waiting for counters. His his last two fights against Gaskell and Cannoneer both showed a a very patient and persistent Whitaker who was not chasing knockouts and was just letting less skilled opponents come to him so that he could pick them apart. Gaslam fight was probably the best, cleanest win of his entire career, right? Mm -hmm. Just pure domination with technical brilliance and it's it's rare that you get a one-sided fight that is so good to rewatch yeah um but he just does it so well but um all of those kinds of fights even like the uh two wins over Yoel Romero and particularly the good moments in the second fight against Romero where it was very much just I'm going to land a billion jabs in this guy's face are against uh, you know plotters Mm-hmm. people who like mostly stand still and aren't like long rangy fighters who just move away and force you to re-engage if you want to lay a finger on them. And I think we can now say pretty clearly, those are the guys that Whitaker is less comfortable fighting. Yeah. And the ones that, uh, historically have pretty easily drawn him into more violent fights because he wants to, it, 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 his style, his personality compels him to try to close that gap and pursue and punish yeah. them for, for trying to create space that, that he can't work with. 
Yeah, one of the fascinating things I wa- I saw when when rewatching Adesanya Whitaker one about that and about it's one of the things that you know not to spoil my pick but has me certainly leaning towards Adesanya in a rematch mm-hmm. was that to his own credit I and mean, this will make the fight more violent but a lot of what troubled Whitaker in that fight was the fact that Adesanya would really bull forward and close him down to land a quick shot mm-hmm. and then would back out incredibly quickly forcing Whitaker to want to chase after to get that shot back and mm-hmm. chase and engage after because like and we're talking like Adesanya crashing in chest to chest with Whitaker because he would often crash so far inside Mm-hmm. The Whitaker couldn't really counter with just a shot, you know, a hook or a shot over the top. And then, it, you know, he'd be drawing back and that would be the point where Whitaker was like, well, I just got hit and I didn't have it. I didn't even get the ability to counter this dude. Right. I'm going to make him pay now. Yeah. And that was really in, in almost an instantaneous version of that. That was, uh, you know, the first shot that really rocked Whitaker and sent him down sent him to the canvas at the beginning of the fight. Mm-hmm. So there's there the two two paths you can go is to, to try to avoid that kind of thing is to fight more like against type, mm-hmm. um, which for any fighter, even the greatest is uh, almost always a very tall order. Yeah. And um, often tends to open up new and different, different problems. Yeah. I think there are guys like, um, like Volkanovsky who are like really all terrain fighters. Mm-hmm. Um, who can just adapt themselves to whatever needs to be done to win a fight and and be really consistent, even if it's not what you usually see out of them. It's kind of hard to say what Volkanovsky's style really is, right? Yeah. Jan, uh, too. Peter Jan, too. Peter Jan, too, exactly. Uh, but most people, and it's not a knock on them, most people yeah. can't do that because how they fight is tied to who they are uh, and how they feel when they're fighting. So I think that would, while I think that could work, because mm-hmm. honestly, Whitaker is himself pretty hard to hit to the head. Um, a really good counter puncher mm-hmm. and was having lots of success with his jab in the first fight against Adesanya. Um, it's just probably not a great idea because I don't think he'll be comfortable and confident doing it. Yeah. And that might just lead to a situation where then when he does have to close the distance, he does it recklessly again because Adesanya makes him by just sort of slowly edging uh, ahead of him at long range. Mm-hmm. So I think the other sort of avenue to go down is to try to take the way that Whitaker feels about a matchup like this and figure out safer ways of channeling that response. And to me, the main thing is just don't chase p- head punches the whole time. Yeah. That's yeah. really the big thing that got him punished. Like, is that he he was just... Adesanya would be leaning back and doing these like sort of awkward shifts where he would throw like a, I called it on heavy hands, like a backwards check hook was a punch that he kept hurting Whitaker with. Mm-hmm. Or like he'd move off to his left, but instead of doing that with a pivot and a left hook on the pivot, he would shift back into southpaw and throw a right hook up the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, and like these are the kind of shots that just kept coming around the side as Whitaker was chasing his head. Yeah. But there were a few occasions where he landed a jab and got Adesanya to begin the initial retreat and then just kicked the shit out of his leg. Mm-hmm. 
and it worked, you know, as it always does. When somebody leans back, their leg is left behind. We have known that forever. If you didn't know it before uh, Shogun Machida, you should know <laughs> it now and never forget it. When somebody retreats a lot and leans their head out of range, you take the target that's there. I think that's the big thing for Whitaker here is don't chase any target. There's going to be a target. Um, you can be offensive and aggressive and build attacks in layers as long as you just take the targets that are available and don't force the issue. Yeah. Um, so that's an option. There's also the idea of just uh, doing more jabs, something that I am always an advocate of. Literally yeah. every fight. Uh, do more jabs. It's the best punch. You know, it really is. Uh, I'm sure people get really sick of me saying this. Like every article I've ever written is at some point or another comes down to here's how the jab affects this, but that's it. You know, it mm -hmm. it's the punch. And if you're going to land one jab, why not double jab? Why not triple jab and then disengage? Mm -hmm. That's a way to aggressively press in that does not unnecessarily expose you or throw your head into range. And then of course the other option that I think everyone is expecting with good reason uh, based on recent fights from both of these guys, takedowns. Yeah. You get the guy leaning back, level change, try his legs. Maybe it won't work. Maybe Whitaker can't hold him down for long, but why not, right? Mm -hmm. we, we've seen it work against Adesanya. We know Whitaker himself has been more and more investing in his offensive wrestling. Mm -hmm. um, why not? So I think there are a number of ways for this, the, the first fight to play out very much like it did the first time for Whitaker. This is assuming Adesanya doesn't make any big changes. And um, and just ha have the same kinds of exchanges that might feel the same, um, yeah. hopefully better, since I think Whitaker has been pretty open about really being burned out and, and lacking confidence in yeah. that fight and, and lacking enthusiasm. Mm-hmm hopefully a better version of the kind of stuff he likes to do against this style type, but just in a safer way that just takes the things that are available rather than uh, running into Adesanya's ability to outthink you in layers simply because you can't accept that his head is harder to hit than you want it to be. That's yeah. the thing to get over. Yeah. So, and I don't there is certainly a version of Whitaker that has done that before. I was yeah. like, I've just been combing back through his old fights and you know, you, 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 there's, you know, there's trouble looking at something like, uh, Whitaker's fight against Jared Cannonier, mm -hmm. where he threw 59 strikes to the head or 138 strikes to the head, eight to the body and five to the legs. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh man, can Whitaker do that? But you go back and you look at his second fight with Yoel Romero, mm -hmm. and you're talking uh, 225, 39, 62, which may not seem like a big number, you know, a, a nice split, a nice divide. But you look at what he's actually landing in that fight, and you've got 57, 23, 48. Mm -hmm. And you've got a very balanced distribution of where he was landing and what he was doing. And you can actually find the, uh, a, a, you know, a similar thing in like his fight with Darren Till, where he landed 32 strikes to the body and yeah. or the head and 30 to the leg. 
and this has caused me to um, thinking about this fight has caused me to uh, reevaluate the Darren Till fight in particular, mm-hmm. because on the one hand, it was, I think, pretty clearly an uncomfortable Robert Whitaker. Yeah. Who had just suffered a knockout loss, the kind of loss that makes you think, wow, I thought I beat Yul Romero twice. I was clearly the best in the division. And then this guy just mopped the floor with me. Mm-hmm. Um. And, yeah, after being burned out and everything, I, he looked clearly shaken. Well, and a big thing. And Whitaker, and until dropped him in the first yeah. round. So it's like, oh, my God, it's happening again. A big part of it is when he walked into that elbow, Yeah, it clearly set him on edge. Like, because mm-hmm. the, the same thing happened to Till, too. He, you know, he then was, like, sure. feeling himself. And then he gets... Uh, Get dropped in round two. Yeah, he gets dropped in round two. Although not, uh, yeah, he has just realized that Till was not officially awarded a knockdown in that fight. But whatever, huh. we've talked about that. But he gets <laughs> How dropped. Does that makes sense. Two. He actually controlled him when he got, went down too. Yeah, he That's... gets dropped in round two, and for Till, it started that same kind of spiral. So eventually, you had a fight between both men where neither of them. You had the. Yeah, you had a much better version of the Tiago Santos Johnny Walker fight. Yeah, where both men are like, you know, mm-hmm. every time we touch each other, it hurts, and maybe we ju- maybe we just shouldn't. Maybe we every just every time we touch. It sounds <laughs> okay. like a love song. Every time we touch, it hurts. That's, that's right. <laughs> See if yeah. Wham is Wham still performing? <laughs> I don't think so. Uh, rip George Michael. Uh, I think. Yeah, it was it was clearly just like a very stressful experience for Robert Whitaker. Yeah. It emanates off that fight. It makes you stressed out a little bit watching it if you're if you're uh you know, as I am a big fan of Robert Whitaker. And um but there's also like tied in with that a lot of good adjustments. Mm-hmm. Where Robert Whitaker, as you pointed out, takes the legs after a lot of the exchanges. Yeah. Um and it wasn't even like the powerful like Dutch left hook into big right low kick because Till's a southpaw. It was a lot of uh, lighter outside low kicks and stuff at the ends of exchanges. But he caught Till's trailing leg frequently mm-hmm. uh, as he forced him out of the pocket. And he used his wrestling a little bit offensively. And he didn't, maybe not necessarily for the right reasons, but he didn't over-pursue many exchanges. He chose his spots really, really carefully. Yeah. If he can do that without being like, without it being because he's just freaked out about it the whole time, it shows that he he has the capability. He certainly has the skills. Yeah. To 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 pull off that game plan. And that's kind of why eventually, when I'm looking at this fight, I really get the feeling that we are going to get something very close and very. Mm-hmm. Um. It might even be hard to score. I'm not going to say automatically that it'll be hard to score, that it'll be a split or something, but that it could come down to like, oh, well, you know, Adesanya came out early, was landing well, was working his jab, hurt Whitaker early maybe, didn't put him away. And then late in the fight, Whitaker started landing his own big shots. Adesanya got dinged up a bit. Mm -hmm. And now we're coming down to a decision where you're arguing over a middle two rounds and who in a very controlled, fairly controlled fight did more. And 
the funny thing about that is, like, you automatically part of me because Adesanya is very much clear, more clearly a momentum fighter than Whitaker. You know, I, I I tend to think of Whitaker as a guy who he has the ability to create something at almost any time, mm-hmm. and he will put together the kind of strikes and moments that build rounds and or that build success in a fight out of any one exchange. But Whitaker's kind of, you know, he's at his best when he has an opponent that's fairly static. And who, even if they're a big puncher, he can just kind of see what's coming and create his own opportunities. Yeah, Whitaker's way more comfortable in a prolonged simmer, I think. Yeah, exactly. Whereas Adesanya is a fighter who really tends to not only build momentum, but need to build momentum. Sure. You know, he kind of has to get out of the gate pretty decently. And start putting things together. And he has to have a good opponent. second round. Yeah. That's the thing. I think Adesan just perfectly accepted the fact. He said it himself many times that he'll just burn the first round in order to yeah. gather information, which is, yeah. especially in title fights, a very good idea. Yeah. But, there, do, you know, it, it does kind of feel end up feeling like with Adesan, you either right away you're like oh okay this is a fight he's gonna win like you watch him in that fight with um that rematch with marvin vittori mm-hmm. or the fight with paulo costa and he's mm-hmm. just like okay we've immediately set a tone that is there is no version of vittori or costa in this fight at this point that can come back and take this fight back over mm-hmm. it is a although i would like to stress again Paulo Costa shit the bed worse than any title challenger I can remember. Yeah, he really <laughs> did. A really bad performance. Yeah. And, yeah, Adesanya, he, he builds off that. It's He's very Max Holloway in that kind of way, I tend to yes. think. Yes, yeah. And if Whitaker just... Or, I mean, Anderson Silva was the same way often as well. Yeah, true. And if Whitaker just kind of stays you know uses goes to all levels does not overextend himself to the point that he gets hurt really badly and keeps this a tight fight then you might be looking at something you know it might he might be able to put Adesanya somewhere into that Jan Blahovich place yeah where that was a reasonably well contested fight between them Mm-hmm. that Adesanya just could not ever get his momentum going well enough. to. Mm-hmm. Be, he kept waiting for the momentum to build. You know, I think the massive problem for that, like, I mean, two massive problems really for Whitaker. A. Yeah. Size. We, right. Well, okay, yeah. three. Okay. Uh, he's not as big as Bizgan, uh-huh. which will affect all sorts of things. How confident yeah. Adesanya feels, how effective his wrestling and top control are, et cetera, yep. et cetera. Yep. Two is the fact that while I, I agree that Whitaker is more comfortable in a fight that just sort of maintains a level of heat the whole time, that has never yet been the case against a guy like Adesanya. Again, yeah. it's always against a pretty static fighter. It is. Where he has all the options in terms of movement and he can choose his range and stick to it. Yep. Um, and then C, three, 
is uh, is the fact that Jan Blachowicz, I think still the main reason he won that fight, and I suppose I'll always be gloating about at least yeah. having picked out this detail, kick defense. Yeah. Robert Whitaker doesn't have it. No. To this date, he has not been an effective low-kick defender in particular, but kicks in general are Adesanya's, you know, their Adesanya's kicks are so fast and so powerful and so flexible. Yeah. And if you stay at kicking range and you're Robert Whitaker, the chances are too high that you're eating a lot of those shots. And that, yeah. that, that is why at the end of the day, I'm still just picking Israel Adesanya. I agree. It, it feels a little weird, too, because if I'm looking at, like, oh, this fight is going to be a five-round, fairly tightly contested, back-and-forth striking bout where maybe both men get hurt once or twice. Mm-hmm. Adesanya is actually, like, he's credited as a lower-output striker than Robert Whitaker. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Um, you look so at you, fights like Whitaker Romero too, Whitaker Gastelum, yeah. Whitaker like those are some very high output fights. Yeah. So you you know the knee jerk part of me that wants to be like there is a the, the knee jerk part to, part to me that wants to feel like there's a statistical model to build off of in MMA wants to be like well maybe maybe Robert Whitaker can just outwork him and you know give, give him five rounds without getting knocked out, but it just it just doesn't feel right. Yeah. It does feel like the way Adesanya, a lot of the times the way Adesanya fights in a low output fight feel like a product, as much as it's been at times him getting, um, you know, maybe in his own head against Romero and Blahovich, it also just feels like him getting to force a low output fight on somebody where they don't want to take risks. Mm-hmm. They don't want to uh, push him. Mm-hmm. And which there's still some room for again, Whitaker also yeah. like he countered on Sonya pretty well when he had yeah. to in that first fight. It's just that he, you know, he just had to chase him and get it back. I, I think feel maybe seems like a wishy washy way to pick, but yeah, at the end of the day, that is what determines how people fight. Mm-hmm. And I don't think Whitaker feels comfortable with the kind of safer yeah. fight we're describing. And while I think the tactics really are like right there on the table for him to win a better version of the fight he fought last time, in which I want to be clear, he had plenty of success. Mm-hmm. He just gave up all the big moments. <laughs> um, the tactics are there. It's a... I just haven't seen it from him before, really. It, the the yeah. Darren Till fight is the first time, and I can't tell to what degree he he felt forced to do those things because he was so uncomfortable. Um, and I, or if he'd be willing to do them in a sort of confident frame of mind. Yeah, and I, I really do want to give credit, too, to the idea that if we've talked about Adesanya getting in his head at times with certain opponents... Mm-hmm. It, the fight with Whitaker really showed a man who was not in his head at all. No, no, no. I don't think and, Whitaker's style is the kind that gets in Adesanya's head. Yeah. And it the result, like I said, we can talk partially about, oh, yeah, like Adesanya, you know, retreating and cutting an angle and shifting into counters that are clever or unexpected. But like I said earlier, a big part of it, too, was just his 
his willingness to just step forward and land a shot on Robert Whitaker right in his face. Yeah. And get to a point in the pocket where he was basically chest to chest with with Whitaker and not that concerned about what was coming back at him. Mm-hmm. And yeah, Adesanya himself, this is another major factor, pretty damn durable. Yeah. Incredibly durable. Not easy to hit clean on the head no. to begin with. Even when people hit him, it tends to be with some rolling or some movement to take the edge off. But he's the only guy to ever knock him out is like one of the hardest hitters you'll ever see. Yeah. And yeah, if he if he's not concerned, then he can find a lot of opportunities to just like he did the first time to push Robert Whitaker, to push his buttons, to get yeah. him to react. Yeah, Phil was saying, I think this is an interesting idea. Phil said that he thought it might be a good idea for now that Adesanya kind of uh, has his reads on Whitaker. He came to them by the end of the first round and then was on them really consistently. If yeah. this should be a fight where he just starts really aggressively. Mm-hmm. It could very easily be the case. Because whether you're, 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 whether the, the, the reflex you're going to get out of Whitaker is to shut down a bit like he did against Till or to become reckless like he did the first time against Adesanya and like he usually does, then uh, it's a good idea to probably to not give him space or time to think and just make him react. Mm-hmm. And if I think an aggressive Adesanya could really force Whitaker into a fight where Adesanya just gets to counter him hard at will. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm picking Izzy too. I, I just I, I I would love to see Whitaker do it. I think the options are pretty clear and and very possible. Yeah. Um, but I it's just feels like I need to see it before I will pick it. Yeah, I, I feel the same. And like I said, I honestly do think I I can see a I can see a universe where three years from now, Robert Whitaker talks about what a great fight this was, even though he didn't win it. Sure. Where he is very pleased that it was a really hard fought battle where he showed his best skill. Yeah. And even if he didn't come up with the victory, because I was, you know, you listen to him at the press conference the other day and he's saying like, you know, the, the big thing for me for that first fight was that I really felt like I didn't get, I didn't show a good version of myself. I didn't mm-hmm. get the opportunity to prove the, my skill and my talent. Mm-hmm. And if this fight's just a five round hard fought battle, sure, you know, he might not win that battle, but it might be a much more satisfying result. Mm-hmm. So I think I, it's I, gonna be awesome. I, I yeah. have high hopes, but I this isn't Ganu gone. I have little expectation of being disappointed. No, Adesanya, he, like I said, if he doesn't have a lot of, you know, fear and trepidation built up around facing somebody. If he doesn't feel like the guy in front of him is going to be a real challenge, he's always fun to watch. Oh, yeah. You know what is my, like, s- s- somewhat more realistic dream, I think, than just Whitaker just, like, winning confidently and looking awesome? Mm. Is he loses a good fight and then goes to light heavyweight and just wins the championship. There. <laughs> I think he really could do a great, job in that division to be honest i think he's way better suited to it with his wrestling defense uh and his aggression inherent aggression than adesanya to be honest mm-hmm. i think he would make for and he's he's light heavyweight weight the man is like 220 yeah i think he could easily just go to light heavyweight cut very little weight and be like the quickest most dangerous dude in the division where nobody actually can lay a finger on him 
be do it. He, do he, it, Bobby. He could, he could be a second Machida. Absolutely, a better Machida. Let's be real, a more consistent, <laughs> yeah. more aggressive Machida. I would, would love, I would love to see Robert Whitaker as a light heavyweight. Yeah, it'd be fun. Either way, this should be a great fight. I'm not really worried about it being bad at all. You, no. I don't think that there's, I don't think there's a version of Israel of Robert Whitaker that Israel Adesanya won't show up against. Yeah. Whether it's somebody who is, you know, whether it's a version of Whitaker who is gets hurt and cowed by that, or whether it's a ver- version of Whitaker that is more creative and more punishing and more prepared and more confident mm-hmm. that forces a harder fight out of Adesanya. Mm-hmm. I don't think that we'll see a bad fight out of that. Either. And let's be honest, like at least for me, uh, keep in mind, I'm the kind of guy who enjoyed Strickland or Manson. Mm-hmm. There, there, I think everyone in, who cares about this, the stakes are high enough. The interest is high enough that even if it turns out to be a kind of fight where like upon review, maybe it's not an all time great you're going to be interested for for as long as it lasts, right? There's going to be high tension and stakes. Unquestionably. It it will be fascinating live. I I can't wait. Adesanya is the favorite, opened at minus 260, jumped up to minus 230, currently down at minus 283. Whitaker opened at plus 220, dropped down to plus 188, currently up at plus 228. I guess I can't be surprised it's that wide just because Whitaker did get knocked out the first time. Mm Mm-hmm. But he really he's the second best middleweight in the division, unquestionably. We are in a yeah. very Volkanovsky Holloway situation mm-hmm. just with men who are bigger, you know, they're bigger and stronger. And mm-hmm. there's more chance of there's more chance that a moment of dynamic offense ends the fight entirely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. but the odds are perfectly understandable. I mean, he arguably yeah. got knocked out twice. It's true. You know, five yeah. more seconds in the first round, maybe it's over right there. Yeah, and as we were talking about, you know, if Till is the best version, uh, is the best he's done in that kind of matchup, we've also seen him fight mm-hmm. Stephen Thompson way back in the day and get knocked out. Get knocked out. So yep. there's a continued narrative over many years that this might just be a fight that Robert Whitaker struggles yep. with. If you get knocked out, Bobby, don't be afraid. Light heavyweights may hit harder, but they suck. Do it. <laughs> Go to 205 and That's become right. the champ. Beat Jan Blokovic. That will shame Adesanya more than actually beating him ever could. <laughs> All right. Our, our producer is noting we are running way over time. Well, so it's the best fight. That's It is the best fight. So let's jump to Derek Lewis, Tai Tuivasa, and uh, Derek Lewis is going to win this. Right? I picked Tai Tuivasa, actually. You, you picked Tai Tuivasa? I mean, I will say this. Tai Tuivasa will probably force the most one-to-one chaotic fight out of Derek Lewis possible. I don't think Ty Tuivasa is going to wrestle Derek Lewis. No. And I know I'm uh, really like staring fate right in the eye here because I expected the same out of Dowkhouse. I was like, he's going to pressure because that's what he does. Mm-hmm. And then he didn't pressure at all. And Derek Lewis walked him down and knocked him out with ease. Yeah. I foolishly, excuse the sirens outside. I foolishly have faith that Tuivasa is going to come forward and force the issue and that he is not going to turn into a wrestler. Um, and that this will mean that it is a relatively 50, 50 fight. Yeah. That's, that's my feeling as well. I think it mm-hmm. will be a 50, 50 fight. I just think that Derek Lewis is going to win that 50, 50. Yeah. Fair enough. I'm, I'm really just kind of taking a gamble on it. At some point, somebody is going to 
back the easily retreatable Derek Lewis up into the cage where he has zero footwork and no defense and gets hurt. Um, and somebody like Tuivasa, who also has no defense, but does put combinations together and also hits the body, mm-hmm. is going to have some chances to just chin check him. Oh, absolutely. I think so. Why not? I'm I, taking I, a gamble. I really like the way that Derek Lewis has improved. I like what I saw in that Dow Cows fight where given a little bit of space and chance to pressure, mm-hmm. Lewis actually did. Like mm-hmm. he, he just went out there and took a fight to Doc House and didn't mm-hmm. give him a chance to get settled. But it is worth noting, even through doing that, that that basically ended up with a collar tie and both men just tr- trading haymakers <laughs> in the pocket. <laughs> and whether Tuivasa pressures right away or Lewis gives Lewis the, the chance to pressure, that's probably where this fight is going to end up. Yeah. And at that point, with Tai Tuivasa and Derek Lewis in the pocket, one of them with the hand on the other guy's neck, both <laughs> men throwing little tiny, tight, well, tiny, but monstrously yeah. powerful, short uppercuts and hooks. Let's do it. Fry yeah. Takayama style. Exactly. <laughs> Let's do like, it. I don't know who's... I, I am picking Derek Lewis to win that fight because yeah. he is a consummate knockout performer and i have seen tuivasa fall apart against much worse fighters in the past Mm -hmm. but But the thing with Derek lewis is that he's 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 kind of the worst most successful fighter in the ufc oh yeah yeah there's so many ways you could beat Derek lewis yeah um, a credit to him that it never pans out but also shame on all the heavyweights who have just not fought him correctly uh, and I don't think it has to be a particularly smart fight. Although, having no. said that, another reason I picked Tuivasa already, and, and therefore I'm sticking to my guns, looking at that Greg Hardy fight, he's going to kick the hell out of Derek's legs. Oh, yeah. No. But that'll just another, lead to... Yeah. It'll just lead to wildness that much faster. He's like, going to force an exchange out of Derek for sure. Yeah. I really do not think that either man is going to give the other enough t- time and space to actually build any complicated no. offense in this fight as you said a perfect heavyweight co-main event it'll either be the most hilariously bad kind of heavyweight fight or it'll be the you know the the platonic ideal of heavyweight action two yeah. guys just sort of mash into each other until one of them falls down lewis is at opened at 146 dropped to 188 and that's where he's sticking to Voss opened at plus 124 jumped up to plus 160 currently plus 156 yeah it it's a coin flip fight to me. I'm picking Lewis because I have doubted him at other points in these kinds of fights. He just keeps doing it. He just keeps doing it. But I do think that Tuivasa will get to put himself in a position where we are looking at a coin flip and whoever lands Mm -hmm. the first huge, well, the second, I won't even say the first huge shot. (laughs) Whoever lands the second huge shot will win because the first huge shot will probably hurt the Whoever uh, gets hit by it, and just run enough to a counter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It'll be, you know, Tuivasa landing a, a shot on Derek Lewis that hurts him badly enough that he runs in wild, looking to follow up, or Derek Lewis landing a shot on Tuivasa that gets him to run in wild and chase it. And yep. yeah. I, I actually, I think part of it is really, honestly, I have I have more, it's easier for me to see in my brain 
that if it's Derek Lewis landing that first shot, his follow-up will put Tuivasa away. Mm-hmm. Then I do with Tuivasa where when I picture him landing that first shot, I picture him getting countered. Yeah, although having said that, that, that Greg Hardy fight was like the just the other version of how this could easily yeah. play out. Yeah. Tuivasa no. gets rocked. Terrible, awkward, ugly retreat, but he's ready with the counter punches. He yep. didn't have great defense, but the man has timing and he puts his punches together well. So yeah, no, it's it is absolutely made for chaos. Yep, good stuff. All right, that brings us to a middleweight bout: Jared Cannonier, Derek Brunson, and I really like this fight a lot. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I have an idea. This is a fight that I think we'll either we will know exactly how it's going to go, mm-hmm. um, like two minutes after it starts. I don't want to say like in the first minute, but the first really good grappling exchange is going to tell us a lot. Yes, yes, yes. I I think um this this I I like this matchup so much because I think it asks a big question that I really want both guys to, to mm-hmm. I want to see answered from both. Yeah, for Derek Brunson. Um, remarkable comeback in this division. The new consistency and discipline he has shown while yeah. still being inherently Derek Lewis is so awesome. Brunson. Uh, Brunson, excuse me. Oh, damn, Phil did that on the hands and I made fun of him for it. Damn it. Yeah, I'm kinder thank, than you, though. Thank God he doesn't listen to any podcasts. Um, yeah, the, the you know, the question is, you, you've seen this new discipline, Derek Brunson. How hard does the other guy have to hit you for that not to be an option? Mm-hmm. Big question. The Cannoneer seems poised to pose. And then on Cannoneer's side, um, we have seen remarkably improved takedown defense and uh, scrambling from him, uh, a guy who just got dominated on the mat more than once in the higher divisions. Yeah, very Question likely just because of his insane strength and physicality at 185. That's the question is, how much yeah. better has your wrestling actually gotten? Mm-hmm. Or is it just that you have been way stronger than everyone because Derek Brunson is not only one of the biggest, strongest dudes at 185, but probably the best wrestler left in the division. Yeah. He's oh. will certainly be the best wrestler Kenanier has faced at middleweight and arguably the best wrestler he's ever faced, even um, considering that fight with Glover Teixeira. Cause I think Brunson has more flexibility in his takedown threats uh, than than Glover typically does, and yeah. as a mat wrestler, I have always been extremely impressed by Brunson. He is a oh, brutal yeah. top player, uh, fantastic at winning scrambles and getting to strong rides, and then he does huge damage when he's in those positions too. It should be said though, looking at this run of Brunson's success here, Theodoru, Heinish, Shabazian, mm-hmm. Holland. Till not only do many of those fighters are they not as strong as Jared Cannonier, yep, but also they are fighters who all except Till, who just gets overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. Um, they're all fighters who will let themselves get locked into a scrambling, grappling battle that they will lose. You know, Heinish and Shabazian and Holland, they're all fighters who will, they will try to counter wrestling with wrestling Mm -hmm. and 
that is a terrible idea with Derek Brunson because he's just going to win that battle. Yep. And Cannoneer is much more of a, I am strong and I will just push you off and I will get back up and I will try yeah. to stay up and stay away. I'm that's not going to get into this fight. Right. That's why I won't just confidently say that Cannoneer is only doing better in wrestling exchanges because he's now bigger and stronger relative to his competition. He mm-hmm. has genuinely shown, if nothing else, much better instincts Yeah, at middleweight, where um, I think David Branch took him down like twice mm-hmm. really early in the fight, and he just didn't accept the takedown, Yeah, which was really the big problem at light heavyweight is uh, he just didn't have the right sort of like mental pathways mm-hmm. uh, wired in where he would get taken down and would instinctively accept it and then do quite well defensively from his back. We t- talked about that at the time. Like this guy's clearly got some good jujitsu. Yeah. So, but he just wouldn't be able to get a submission off and wouldn't even try to get back to his feet. Now it's like wizard hip heist, shove the guy's head down, get back to your feet. Mm-hmm. One, doesn't you have, one has to ask, what if Ed, Edmund Shabazian was that guy in that fight he had with Derek Brunson? Sure. Because it's not like Derek Brunson came out and just started having a ton of success with Edmund no, no. Shabazian. No, you got hurt before Shabazian did. Oh, yeah. my God. There's a million fires happening in Cincinnati right now. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> oh, if, it burns, if it down. burns down, how will anybody know? <laughs> well, look, it's an ugly ruin of a city. Shut up. <laughs> You live in the you live in the Nazi part of the country. Shut up. <laughs> but I've, uh, seen, I've seen Green Room. <laughs> I know what you people are about up in up in the PNW. Uh, but yeah, so for me with Shabazian, like that's a good point of comparison for me because Shabazian has this yeah. problem where as he gets deeper into the fight and he starts to get a little tired, he really starts to run out of ideas. And once he ran out of ideas. Brunson was able to to drag him into deep water and drown him. And he and Brunson both uh, exposed that you can you make Shabazzian uncomfortable. You'll suck him into your fight. Yeah, he, he'll he'll still come back and try to be really offensive and dynamic, but he won't make the right strategic decisions. Yeah, in the so course of that, if Cannoneer can be more calm and just more calm and collected while sure. delivering that kind of speed and power and accuracy and consistency. Mm-hmm. Is that a fight Derek Brunson wins? Yeah, I don't know. Um, <sighs> I think seems, I'm I mean, gonna... it is, it's still possible is yeah. the thing. It's not yeah. like you look at that Kelvin Gastelum fight. It's not like Derek Brunson couldn't outstrike Cannoneer. He's not a great defensive fighter. Brunson hits hard as hell himself. Mm-hmm. Um, and has in these fights has also, it's, it's, it's awkward and ugly, but his striking has been, he's done, choosing his strikes well defending again like still in a very flinchy tense kind of way but defending much more acutely than before and countering quite well yeah he's much calmer clearly clearly coaching has really got into his head yeah which i think we knew would be the case someday when he got back to a a camp that works for him now he's at um with hoofed Yeah. yeah and uh brunson took to the coaching at jackson wink exceptionally well as well remember this is a guy who kind of beat Yoel Romero for most of their fight. Mm-hmm. I mean, at least had tons and tons of good moments in a very 50, 50 kind of fight. And then just lost in the end. Uh, yeah. We've been waiting for ages for that Derek Brunson to come back. And I think he's here. Yeah. Um, so you picking him? I'm picking Brunson. I think right. Cannoneer is going to have the right reactions. 
initially, but I think Brunson is an exceptionally good scrambler and a really great Matt wrestler. If he, and I, and I have a suspicion that these other guys, Cannoneer has been able to win the first scramble against. Yeah. And if Brunson can win the initial scramble, how, how much of that does it take for Cannoneer's old instincts to come back out? Yeah, and that is moment, why I say I think within the first two minutes, we're going to exactly. know exactly what this fight's going to be. Yeah, and the moment Cannoneer accepts bottom position, it's Brunson's fight for sure in my Oh, opinion. yeah. Yeah, so. I mean, if, if, he, if he lets himself get taken down and held down for more than 20 seconds, 30 seconds, then I, I will automatically pick Brunson. I am picking Cannoneer, though. I think mm-hmm. he's strong enough, and he can deliver enough power that... And he looks patient enough these days. Yeah, he's another guy who is clearly benefiting from good yeah. coaching. I, yeah. I think it was maybe not a pretty fight and not super clean, but I was quite impressed with his performance against Kelvin Gastelum. It was mm-hmm. a more thoughtful, creative, resourceful cannoneer than we've seen before. Yeah. And I think just in the same way, if Brunson gets in and he can't hold Der- Jared Cannoneer down and he has to have like multiple minutes of open exchanges with him, yeah. Then it's going to start making that wrestling much more predictable mm-hmm. and he's going to start getting hurt more. And Ken is the kind of dude that you can't really afford to get hurt against. Mm-hmm. So I am going to pick Jared Cannonier here. All right. Uh, odds on the bout. Brunson is the underdog. Open at plus 116, jumped up to plus 151, currently plus 145. Jared Cannonier open at minus 136, dropped down to minus 192, currently minus 175. I don't know. I kind of feel like Brunson deserves to be the favorite just a little. But sure. Guy's on a great streak. Yeah. And we've seen Cannonier lose. I mean, we've seen both men lose a lot. Mm-hmm. So it's not like they don't, it's not like we don't know what the paths to victory for both men are. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, it's it should be a very cl- good close fight. All right, that mm-hmm. brings us to a bantamweight bout: Tyler Phillips, Marcelo Rojo, and I think this is a little. I I don't know that I'm gonna pick against him, but I think this is a little bit of a trap fight for Kyler Phillips. Mm-hmm. Because Marcelo Rojo is when I mean, we saw him against Charles Jordan or Jordan. And uh, Jordan, Jordan, <laughs> um, and he fights a lot like him, and he is very clearly a fighter that if you don't control him, he will hurt you. Mm-hmm. That is who Marcelo Rojo is, and Kyler Phillips is very good and athletic and fast and powerful. He's got some nice, he's a smoother technical fighter than Rojo, but he's not a dude who goes out and controls people. And, you know, as was, as ended up being the, you know, the Achilles heel against, uh, Holly and Paiva. That he was willing to let Holly and Paiva try and have Holly and Paiva's fight go out there bull into him, make the fight, you know, difficult, repeat exchanges over and over again and make it a battle of durability and uh, stamina. And 
he had a lot of success in that fight still, Phillips, but had he been able to just like, oh, you know what? I'll also just take this guy down and out grapple him and start doing that for a while. He probably wouldn't have lost to Howie and Paiva, you know? Yeah. When it's I think not... a, a big problem there was he was he was just overconfident. Yeah. He just didn't take Paiva seriously. That is very true as well. He he really started he started tuning him up and then he just started treating him. He's like, oh, well, I'll just do whatever I want and, you know, unload everything I, I want to on this guy. And then Howie and Paiva comes out for round two and. Mm hmm is exactly as determined and dedicated to having a firefight. And Phillips was like, holy crap. But that's the thing is that Marcelo Rojo can do that. He is also that guy. I'm just not sure he has the cardio. If he doesn't knock Phillips out, mm -hmm. then his game, I think starts to seriously fall apart. Like Paiva is a small bantamweight fighting up from flyweight. Even if he's not short, he's, you know, rail thin. So leaning on a punishing cardio heavy game plan really worked for him. For Marcelo Rojo, who is who didn't look undersized at featherweight coming down to bantamweight. Mm -hmm. I'm a lot more I have a lot more trepidation about his ability to just hang in and create and constantly push a brawl that he wins. And you know, I was like look, watching his fight with John Castaneda. That was a fight he came out and immediately hurt Castaneda and couldn't put him away and then started to flag and Castaneda started out wrestling him and out grappling mm -hmm. him and it just mm -hmm. became an uglier an uglier fight that Rojo couldn't control. Mm -hmm. And, you know, maybe Castaneda's a little bit better wrestler than Phillips, maybe. But I think Phillips can probably have that kind of fight and win it. Yeah, it's the wrestling. That's really it for me. Uh, Rojo has been, I think, most of his losses, maybe four of seven, if I recall correctly, are by submission. Yeah. It's typically later in the fight. Yeah. And uh, even if things don't go super well, for Phillips, as we saw against Paiva, he, he will go to his wrestling. And he's a very strong technical wrestler, a really dangerous, dynamic grappler. And... Um, I think really the, people interestingly though. No, he, although, you know, it wouldn't, it certainly wouldn't be impossible. Yeah, It wouldn't be impossible. It just, it is, it, it does give me pause if he doesn't. Yeah. If he takes Rojo down and, you know, just sort of like controls him for a little, a little bit and Rojo comes back out and is just a wild man again. Mm -hmm. Like I said, that is kind of, you know, part that, I worry about Phillips with that Paiva fight and just being like, if he couldn't yeah. control Howley and Paiva, here's another, here's another wild. Man. Well, but the thing composed, is, is but. Uh, I agree that that was the, that was the crux of, of Paiva being able to come back in that fight, come mm -hmm. back repeatedly. In fact. Yeah. But, um, Paiva's a really good scrambler and defensive he, wrestler. He, he, is. he is. It is. It's long been, I think the, like the thing that underpins his game. It's, it's, more difficult than you think to take him down. People will get in deep on attempts and yep. start to take him down and then just sort of lose the scramble or let him out. Yeah. And he's a, he's a great scrambler when you do get him down. Yep. And Rojo is not, he, yeah. he has worse grappling instinct. He'll go for ill-advised guillotines. Uh, when he feels the takedown, like sinking in, he'll, 
accept bottom position. He'll give up his back and not know what to do with it. He does not have Piva's relentless scrambling ability. So I, I think basically that as with like the Brunson fight, that just gives Phillips an out that yeah. has me picking him pretty confidently, no matter how it shakes out early. Yeah, that's fair enough. I, I, I'm picking Phillips too. I just, I do think that people are pretty confident. I, I looked at this and was immediately pretty confident about it. Mm-hmm. And I, but I do think that Rojo is big and dangerous mm-hmm. and tough. No doubt. And Paiva, we've like, you know, there Paiva's, his my read on him when he first got to the UFC was a dude that loves to jump in from distance with big singular striking moments and bursts of offense. Yeah. He doesn't necessarily set things up. And then he had that performance against Song Yadong, which was what a great what a great performance. Yeah, a really miraculous performance of outfighting and control. And then he comes back with Paiva, and you're kind of looking at the same dude again who I had misgivings about at the beginning who is just jumping in and trading with Paiva and being like, oh, wow, well, I can hurt this guy, so I can just keep doing this. And so, yeah, did that? will that cause a readjustment back to the Song Yudong fight, which would be a, a kind of fight where I would pick him to beat Rojo with ease? Mm-hmm. Or is it going to be more of a like, wow, this guy's a great athlete who's putting himself in position to have 50-50 fights with people he doesn't have to? Mm-hmm. So... I'm picking I'm picking Phillips too, but there there's an aspect of this to, that feels a bit like a trap to me. Mm-hmm. Where I, I need to see him fight to his obvious quality. Phillips opened at minus three hundred, he's currently down at minus four fifteen. Rojo opened at plus two fifty, he's currently up at plus three thirteen. All right, that brings us to a lightweight bout. Bobby Green, Nazrat Hawkprost. And yeah, what a great fight. I mean, every great Bobby fight. Green fight is a great fight. Absolutely. As is pretty much every Nasser Hawkbrust fight. Yeah. Um, and you have to pick Bobby Green. Yeah, you really kind of do. Um, Nasser Hawkbrust. I don't want to give up hope on the man yet. No. He's, He's only, only 26. Yeah. Um, he came into the sport very young. But Phil and I were laughing about this. They're, they're just, you know how you said, I, I, I brought this up with him as well. Last week, you're like, I don't want to say this just because he kind of looks like the guy. But Jelton Almeida is kind of Jacare, right? Yeah, yeah. And then you look at Nasrat Hakparas, and you're like, yeah, he looks like Kelvin Gastelum, but that doesn't mean he has to be Kelvin Gastelum, does it? <laughs> yeah. but he kind of is. He kind of is. He just hasn't really gotten better. In the yeah. ways, uh, you know, he's he's maybe getting slowly more comfortable with the fact that his fights get out of control, and then he has to be resourceful instead of just being able to win with raw power and athleticism every time. But he's just another guy who came in, was tremendously talented, mm-hmm. um, a fantastic athlete, and it has just, I think, contributed to him not developing or learning to fight much better. Yeah, I will also say that it's generally my fear out of fighters. There's a reason, you know, I've, I don't want to, I'm not a, anybody's coach, so I don't want to harp on this like i really know what i'm talking about i'm only really talking you about a, a life coach to me well that that explains why you've ended up where you are <laughs> <laughs> i don't want to stand by that but you know it, it's your um, fault is what you're telling me yeah no yeah definitely but um you know there are reasons just looking over the history of this sport 
I never like to see somebody turn pro in their teens. Right. A teenage pro MMA fighter is, to my mind, a waste of talent and potential. Yeah. Because for, some, for the young veterans, it, it often works out. They'll stay pretty it, safe, not take a lot of damage. And, and maybe Hawk Prost will be that. Maybe when he's 33, we'll yeah, be like, oh, yeah. my God, here's Nazrat Hawk Prost. The problem gonna, is, is that guys like Sean Strickland and Jorge Masvidal didn't spend their whole careers getting into wars, even with guys that really they should have had their number. Yeah. And Hawk Prost's fights are pretty routinely very violent on both sides. Yeah. Even and, against guys like Thibaut Guti and uh, Rafa Garcia, these are back and forth fights where he takes a lot of shots. And then you have ones like Drew Dober and uh, Dan Hooker, significantly better fighters, and they just whoop him. Yeah, and they, like the the problem for you know talking about this with teens who turn pro is like how good is the training that you actually started out with, you know, how, how high a level he's, you know, how, like you're joining, you're, you're turning pro at 16. Like how good is the MMA gym that formed you in those early years? And Hawkshaw to his credit has shown pretty decent technique, but it doesn't have depth. Yeah. And I tend to find, to, to also feel like fighters who start out like they'll, you know, like Tim or not Tim means, but um Jordan Meehan. Mm-hmm. You watch him and you're, you watch his early years. And you're like, oh, my God, this kid's got he can grapple. He can wrestle. He can strike. There's fluidity, speed and power. And. He hit a peak early on where he could do all these things and do them all pretty well. Mm-hmm. And then it was just a flat plateau for like. Eight years from like age 22 to 30. And then suddenly at 30, he's a burnt out, busted up shell who's, who hates doing MMA because it's just the thing that his dad made him do forever. Uh Uh-huh. And yeah, I don't want to say that that's going to be Nazareth Hakparas, but it does feel like we're in this prolonged plateau where it's just, Mm -hmm. you set your, you, you got to your, your training level very early and you're holding it and it's given you a nice solid career in the UFC, but is there anywhere left for you to climb now? Because you didn't, you didn't spend more time early on just working and getting fundamentals and training and not taking damage and not accruing the costs of a pro fighting career. Mm Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. We'll see. Um, it stands out more with a guy like Hawk Prost, who has so much potential. Yeah. So, the the main thing is, is that um, I, I do have a question about how Hawk Prost approaches this. He he does, you know, he, he certainly, I think he's willing to pressure if the other guy gives mm-hmm. him space pretty much uh, without fail. So, probably Bobby Green can just make Hawk Prost have his best kind of fight. Mm-hmm. But if Hawk Prost does even in those fights, he tends to start off trying to be on the back foot. He loves to do that thing where he circles left and then cuts back across with the left hand. That's like his one trick. Mm-hmm. And um, Bobby Green is not as good coming forward. He has to he has to build up to that point. Um, yeah. He's really, really good if you just sort of clumsily come after him. He will look like an absolute demon. Mm-hmm. But wh- whichever way Hawk Paras does it, the problem is that Bobby Green is not only 
Like if he can do what Dan Hooker does, he's a way better defensively than Dan Hooker. Mm-hmm. Similarly durable, but way better defensively. He's uh, also got, as Dan Hooker did, the wrestling. People always forget, but Bobby Green, very good wrestler. Yeah. And uh, if it does get to a point where Hawk Parast, as he probably will if he's losing early, just decides to start trading and going nuts, A, I think Bobby Green is better equipped to deal with that than Dan mm-hmm. Hooker. Um, but also, he can probably take Hawk Parast down. Yeah, I don't know that he would hold Hawk Parast down necessarily. Just he doesn't Green's, typically. He, yeah. he doesn't typically. He's a, he's a pretty small, lightweight in frame. Like, he's mm-hmm. tall, but he, he does not have a, you know, he's not a really burly, mm-hmm. um, powerful fighter. Mm-hmm. So he doesn't tend to hold people down. But he could chug them out. It has been a while, but... It's been he, a while. He's uh, he's certainly faced other, like, strong wrestlers in the past and just gotten them to give up their True. back and choked them out. True. Um, it used to happen pretty often, actually. I think that just the biggest thing is that he can he can offer more variety, and he can, he can pull Hawk Parast into deep striking exchanges and get him tired. Yep. Where you know that Bobby Green's not going to get tired. Yep. Neither man is a great finisher as a striker. Mm-hmm. So if Hawk Parast and Green, you know, if Hawk Parast goes out and has some early success and he pushes forward and Green gives up space and Green starts to counter him and, you know, they start to make the, makes this uh, extend exchanges and make Hawk Parast have to reckon with his counters mm-hmm. and to, with prolonged counter exchanges. Then we saw in the, in the, uh, hooker fight hawk Prost just started to flag yep you know yeah best case for hawk Prost is like green venata yeah and that maybe he can win that just by doing more but you, you know with confidence that uh if the early rounds are not clear the third round is almost certainly going to be clear for bobby green exactly that and just at that tends point to I, happen. I gotta pick him to win the fight yep you pick the guy who gets the clear round to to win the decision that tends yep. to be how it goes hawk parast is the underdog here opened at plus or minus 110 jumped up to plus 143 is currently plus 119 bobby green opened at minus 110 jumped down to minus 163 and it's currently minus 143 so those odds getting just a little bit tighter with green a narrow favorite on that note, we're going to wrap this uh, wrap up the main card here. You can find me on Twitter at TheZaneTime. You can find Connor on Twitter at BoxingBush. You can find both of us over at BloodyElbow.com. Give us a like, subscribe to our co- podcast on Bloody Elbow Presents on SoundCloud, YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, all that good stuff. And as always, the MMA Viv section is brought to you by Chris Reaney and his book, The Fine Art of Violence. Uh, you can find his works over at ChrisReaney.com, C-H-R-I-S-R-I-N-I.com. Thanks, everyone. We will see you next time. Thank you for listening to this Bloody Elbow Presents production. To check out more of our content, hop over to the Bloody Elbow Presents SoundCloud and iTunes pages, as well as subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is titled Bloody Elbow Presents. We're also on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast, Player FM, and Amazon Music. Just search for Bloody Elbow Presents and you'll get brand new shows throughout the week, including Care Don't Care, The Mookie and Crookie Show, The Open Guard Cast, The MMA Vivisection, The Level Change Podcast, 
the sixth round post-fight show, sixth round retro, the MMA depressed us, Crooklyn's Corner, and radio-style play-by-play for every UFC pay-per-view. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at facebook.com slash bloodyelbowblog, and of course on bloodyelbow.com.